Welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 33, Mobilising Change with the Wellbeing Projects, Elisa Goldenberg. So welcome back. Um, it's been a few weeks since the Q3 focus of travel, and we're kicking off for this final uh, quarterly focus, the final three episodes of a momentous year. Uh, we're looking at community. Uh, and I just had a great conversation with Elisa. And I'm also trying something different this time. This has been recorded also as a separate video message, just with the kind of, you know, I, I like to experiment and try different things as we go through this podcast. So I will keep this intro pretty short. Um, I'll do the normal catch up with what's going on here in Barcelona with some of our work in the next episode. Um, uh, and then look ahead to, to next year in the final episode, which will be number 35 of this look at community. Um, but just recognising that a lot of my work in the past weeks and months has been with this view, um, not always dressed like this is my casual Friday dress, but looking at the background here that I've talked to so many people around the world, I just want to try something a little bit different here. Uh, and with a possible view to, again, changing the podcast, which has been going on now for over two and a half years, with changing that again for 2021. So with Elisa, you know, we're looking at this aspect of community and I was thinking about this recently, that community in many ways has strengthened um, in the past several months. You know, we're more disconnected than ever. We are confined to our homes. Uh, many of us, there are very, you know, much less interactions or possibility for interactions with our colleagues in the office, certainly with our neighbours where we live in the world. Um, and, and so we have to be more intentional. This is one of the points that come out with, with Elisa. We have to be more intentional with our uh, connections uh, with people and what that gives us, recognising that it's very important to how we live and how we work, um, uh, and recognising that we've all experienced this collective trauma, right? Um, and, and and so this is also an opportunity, and, and how can we use community going forward as we begin to emerge from the pandemic into what we all hope is a brighter future in 2021? So some of the points that, that I covered with Elisa, you know, we're looking at uh, the work of the Wellbeing Project and their aims of mobilising change, a lot of the focus is on the social change space and a lot of the work that individuals and social entrepreneurs do. And they start with a very holistic, progressive definition or view of well-being, which actually encourages people to look at their holistic selves, right? Uh, it's not just on a narrow sense of, of aspects of health and well-being and balance, which is, of course, very important, but recognising how these people communicate and connect to the wider community and the importance of the wider community, not just in what they can contribute in terms of social change, but also what they receive, right? And as Elisa says in the interview, they can't just uh, go forward with an empty tank. Um, so we looked at that progressive definition of what well-being is and how that contributes to the mission of the well-being project about how things are changing during the pandemic, perhaps in, in terms of how there's greater interest in the work and people recognising around the world the importance of some of these themes of well-being and recognising also it's not a simple thing to do. Um, and, and the importance of belonging, right? The importance of belonging for all of us, which I think we've all uh, identified in this experience of, of working from home, you know, and, and also looking at this kind of shared experience that we've all had and how can we bounce back 
into a brighter future and what role community will have within that. And then finally, also, you know, what we can do on a practical level, what are some of the things that Lisa's doing with her team, what the Wellbeing Project is doing as an organisation with their employees, and what we can all do to help move us all forward as a society. So we're back with Q4. These are the final episodes of the year on the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, myself and Elisa. And again, thanks again for listening. And I'll see you very soon for the next episode. As ever, keep well and bye for now. Ciao. Hi, Elisa. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Where are you in the world right now? I am in Paris. (laughs) <laughs> wow, fantastic place. But, you know, one of these places like Barcelona, I mean, even more so, I guess, with the the restrictions of the second wave, how are you finding that recently? Are you okay? Yeah, we are now in our third week of the second round of confinement. So we're, do- we're doing the best we can with the restrictions in place, but it's never easy. <laughs> it's interesting, right? And I, I knew you guys, even in like Barcelona, it followed Paris a couple of weeks later in terms of a uh, curfew, um, which is pretty tough, and all these different restrictions, meaning that if we think about community, which is the focus of this of this conversation and this and this um, you know final quarter on the podcast, we we can be more disconnected than ever, right? Because it's there's less opportunities, perhaps, to maybe see people on the street or just engage with people. We're, we've maybe got more of that fear factor of just coming into contact with different people. How are you finding the, the Parisian community in, in the last few weeks and or even months of the, of the pandemic? How has that changed? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great point because I think um, for me personally, I didn't realize the extent to which I appreciated those casual run-ins um, with just people on the street or my colleagues in the office. And the past few weeks in this second round of confinement has been, I think, very different than the first wave. The first wave, we didn't really know what to expect. So I think there was a lot of enthusiasm about finding new ways of connecting with people and staying in touch with our community. And I'm really finding during the second wave, actually, people being a bit tired um, from having to deal with this now for going on probably about nine months or so. Um, And so I think... I think there's a tiredness there, but I think it's more important than ever before for us to be more intentional about how we're connecting with community. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's a very different energy behind the the efforts to connect with with a community, despite it more important than, than ever before. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think there's a real fatigue at this point. Um, even if I think back to the episodes this year, even the first episode of the year in January, I was talking about the oncoming kind of pandemic and it just seems to have been rising all the way through. There was this kind of novel reaction to it, um, you know, in the springtime. And 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 there is definitely, I think, that, that tiredness now. But as you say, that is really important that we are more intentional than ever. It's, it's interesting, this disconnection-connection paradox, right? We're, we're more disconnected than ever in the normal channels, but, you know, we, we're, we're relying on many cases in virtual communication to be more connected and there's a lot of kind of good practice which is advised within um, an organizational sense about over uh, over communicating right and just making sure that you're reaching out to people who could be a bit more vulnerable but it's such an interesting time for us all in that right Um, you know community we can take to mean different things 
you know, even civil society and on that level, but even the communities within the organization that you talked about missing the casual encounters within, within, within your company, which is of course, another type of community. Any other reflections from you on what community means or, or, or which direction we should take that, that word or concept in? Yeah. Um, you know, I think community means so many different things to different people. Um, I think for me, in kind of how I define community and how I look at community in the work I do, community comes from a real sense of belonging. Um, and in order for belonging to be there, there needs to be real authentic connection with others. And I'm, I'm get further into this in our conversation today, but I think now that we are distanced from others and physically separated from others, that's where that intentionality comes in. And how do we intentionally build those meaningful connections? Um, either virtually or in other ways during a time where our normal means of, of connecting are quite limited. And so for me, yeah, for me, that's what community is about. It's about belonging. It's about connection. And it's also about being a part of something bigger than just yourself. And I think that is something that has emerged for me during this time is that we're, we're going through this individually. We all have our own kind of needs uh, during this pandemic and kind of handling or, or responding to the different ways of, of living and working. But we also are going through something and experiencing something collectively. And so I think that sense of community, that sense of being part of something larger than yourself is also critically important in how we um, nurture our communities right now. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some great points there. I think that belonging piece you know, there's been a lot of commentary in certain recent months about the importance of culture at distance. And I think a lot of companies are being perhaps found out, right, that maybe they can limp along when people are seeing each other face to face with a less than, than stellar or less than positive culture. But when people are working from home and there is that physical distance, then those links are, are easily, you know, broken, right? And, and that sense of belonging is really it needs to be nurtured in order to kind of you know bring that cohesiveness, build that culture, and and, and results are obviously based on on a strong culture, right? And I think that individual collective point is absolutely um, critical as well. T tell us a little bit more about the Wellbeing Project then, as uh, in, in terms of the mission of the organisation and how community fits, and how some of these recent reflections from you also uh, fit within within your work. Yeah, absolutely. So the Wellbeing Project, it's a co-creation um, between Ashoka, the School Foundation, Impact Hub, Thessalon Institute, Porticus, and Synergos. And the mission of the project is to catalyze a culture shift that puts inner well-being at the heart of social change, social change work. And what we do, so we have various um, streams of work at the Wellbeing Project. We do model programming where we're working with both individuals and organizations to establish a um, kind of, well, an inner work practice at the individual level, and then a culture around well-being at the organizational level. Um, we also convene communities of regional and global leaders. And we bring these leaders together in what is called, what is a kind of learning journey where they are able to have a safe container, a safe space 
to deepen their understanding of well of what well-being means to them, both individually, but also at that collective level. And the idea is, is as our role as catalyst, that they, they then go back into their organizations, into their companies, into their kind of networks and ecosystems that they're a part of to catalyze this culture shift. Um, and we're also doing some research as well um, to build a strong evidence base for why a focus on inner well-being is so important in terms of uh, social change work, both for the individuals, the organizations, but also thinking about it at a societal level. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, if you think it, in many ways, you know, we, we share common goals in terms of just you know, elevating the, the presence of well-being within the world and within within the working world, and I know from my own experiences, this hasn't always been an easy an easy um, ask in in the past few years. But what I have found during the pandemic is that there has been more of an appetite for a lot of these concepts, right? Whether whether companies or individuals are, are, are suffering. Um, with poor or compromised well-being and they need to really address that and they recognize finally the absolute criticality of well-being for people just to you know function in their daily working life so you know I'm finding that you know on an organizational level for us and our client work we've got a lot more attention we're a lot busier certainly in the last several months but you know going ahead it's still very fragile absolutely how are you guys finding you know the mission that you've been on for the past several years and, and you know how the pandemic has maybe accelerated that there's been opportunities for you maybe in one hand and, and where has it been not so good for you and not in, in another space yeah so i think a focus on well-being is more important now as i said earlier than than ever before and i think what's super interesting is that organizations are realizing how important well-being is to respond to the immediate moment. So in order to be able to support their teams, uh, to be able to also kind of, well, I would say the organizations that we're working with and the individuals inside our network are those that are on the front line working to kind of address the needs that have been created by this pandemic, but also I would say the broader kind of fault lines that have been revealed um, during this time. So I think from, from our perspective, the community that we work with is, is very much, um, while they've, I think, have always been supportive of well-being, they're realizing really how important it is to respond to this immediate moment. And then I would take it one step further and I would actually say what's really, I think, um, where I find a lot of hope in the work that we do is that a lot of um, leaders that we work with are also recognizing that a focus on well-being or well-being efforts cannot just be a kind of quick response um, or reactionary response to to the needs. That this is actually an opportunity to create a deeper shift um, and really embed well-being into the culture of the work that we do so that we're able to respond in this moment, but then we're also able to sustain these efforts and perhaps reorient the way that we work and the way that we care for our people over the long term. Yeah, no, great. Because you're right. I mean, in one level, you could welcome previous cynicism from, from different areas, um, you know, within organizations and, and welcome that they have maybe changed their perception of the importance of well-being. But in the same respect, 
you know, they shouldn't believe that it's just a tick box exercise, right? That it's okay, give me the tools, give me the kind of solution to this. I've got issues well-being within my organization. I want to build something. And, and you know, there might be that perception that there's still something, you know, light and, and easily implemented in, in the short term, right? But of course, there has to be a much deeper kind of um, introspection within any organization to look at culture, to look how it's embedded, to look at the kind of overall objectives of that organization, right? And look at that longer term. So obviously we need, you know, both of those things to happen. We need that interest and we need people to understand that it is a deep and complex um, issue. And one of those issues that I like to talk about now that I know you guys have done a lot on is that link between the individual sense of well-being and how that propagates outwards into into change on, on a broader level, let's say community or organization, society. And it's actually, it's interesting. It was one of the main areas that connected me to, to the wellbeing project. I remember back in a lot of my own journey, thinking about this, I'd previously done a lot in corporate social responsibility. And then I started looking at executive health um, for leadership development. And then I thought, well, actually, these things are pretty much connected, right? And then I started looking at what I called at the time, the triple lens of sustainability, that you can be sustainable at the personal level, at the organizational level, and at the societal level. But I understand that, you know, you guys have done a lot more in that space and looking at the link between individual well-being and how that well-being manifests itself on a much broader level. Can, can you tell us a little bit about some of that work, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe where I can start is just with how we define well-being because there's so many different definitions of, of what well-being means. But for us, we refer to inner well-being as really an ongoing personal journey. Um, this is a journey towards home, towards connection. And it's, it's an inner work journey that really entails healing, personal development, and I would say integration of self. So this is our definition and where we start. And what we see is that by putting a greater focus on inner well-being, we're able to create more kind of human-centered cultures. Um, and by doing this, we really can unlock the kind of collaboration that's needed, the innovation um, that is also required right now to address some of the most pressing issues that we face today in our society. Um, maybe to be a bit more specific, specific here, you know, we've seen through our work with individual change makers is by supporting and we kind of at, through our model programs, we create a container for them to a safe container for them to have their own inner journey. We see that by focusing on inner well-being and developing a regular well-being practice that individuals then are able to, well, changes the way that they lead their organizations. We can start there. And by changing the way that they lead organizations, I would say that they are, they, they are um, able to build organizations that are more collaborative, cultures that are more supportive. In general, this strengthens relationships. I would say interrelationships, relationships also between organizations, relationships between partners as well. So there's a real kind of... Um, it's, it's about building bridges, I would say. So once we're able to take ourselves through that own inner journey, care for ourselves, understand ourselves, bring all the different parts of ourselves together to be that whole person, then we're also better positioned to make a greater impact in the world. We listen with more empathy. We are also, say, um, 
kind of at an organizational level, we're also seeing really um, important shifts in how leaders both um, kind of run their organizations, but then also themselves within the broader ecosystem. So, you know, when we're talking about kind of the great environmental and social issues, you know, climate change, also, you know, um, addressing systemic racism, all of these issues that are so critically important to us as a society today. Um, our kind of theory of change is, is that a focus on inner is a real important driver of being able to do that work effectively. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that definition. I love that starting point. And if we bring it back to the focus of um, you know this this conversation, it's it's individuals with a very clear sense of their community, right? It's a very clear sense of how they connect to more than just themselves, right? Because I think often when we're engaged, and it could be quite highly you know driven or engaged individuals who really want to make a difference, but maybe they kind of they plow that lonely furrow, let's say, right, and they don't connect. As, as much as they could or should. And, and that connection is what is going to give you that multiplier effect, right? So I think what I see there is that you're trying to shape people with, with, a, with a personal mission, but trying to show them that, hey, you need to elevate this to, to your community and be very aware, have that situational awareness, let's say, of the communities that are, that are around you. I think that's such a progressive and positive view of, of well-being. If we look at the individual, because there's one issue here which often happens within highly driven uh, individuals and especially within the social change or social entrepreneurship uh, space, is that they can go so hard that they end up compromising their own, if we look at well-being and health or well-being in a little bit more of a narrow space in terms of their own um, you know, physical health, let's say, their, their own recovery, then, then that high engagement, as, as studies show, it often leads to, to, to issues of burnout. What, what do you find in that space? And do you guys do anything to mitigate that so that they can actually have, you know, more of that balanced view as they're, as they're trying to make an impact? Absolutely. And, and that's really the focus of our work is working with change makers, social entrepreneurs being among one of the groups that we work with, I would say, the most. And I think it's a very kind of common challenge that social entrepreneurs face in terms of being so committed to their mission, um, so committed to having a positive impact that um, prioritizing their own well-being, I think, becomes less of a priority. And so this is what we're talking about when we when we say we want to catalyze a culture shift. Um, part of the kind of what we've experienced is after change makers go through our programming that there's kind of a, well, reorientation with work, I would say. So I think as they develop a stronger sense of self, um, they start, you know, it's, it comes down to also um, how they value themselves and see themselves as whole yeah. people um, more than just their work, more than just their mission. Not to, and, and, you know, the mission is critically important, but they are whole people first. And I would also say, you know, to that point, some of the impacts that we've seen is a rejection of the hero model, which is very common among the change-making community. And I would also say um, another outcome that we see is this idea of being able to accept support um, in addition to, to giving it. So a lot of change-makers are very much show up to serve 
um, but you can't serve from an empty fuel tank. Um, and so this reorientation or, or I would say um, kind of ability to also accept support from others, then I think it, it fills their fuel tank so that they're, they don't feel like they are responsible for everything. It creates also, I would say, trust that also fully capable of helping and, and supporting. And, and in the end, it creates a more sustainable way of working um, that will, in the end, deliver a more effective, you know, positive yeah. impact. No, I love, yeah, no, I love that. And as you know, some of those comments that you just made, for example, the rejection of the hero model and, and, and just changing that whole approach, we're seeing it echoed in, I think, you know, uh, leadership, for example, the style of leadership that is required and was required even before the pandemic has been accelerated absolutely during the last several months um, to be more, you know, collaborative, to to be more uh, in terms of, uh, you know, empowering teams and, and, and finding out the answer together rather than being the person with the solution. So I think there's a lot of things there that are very much in line with, you know, recent trends and that whole aspect of, you know, going from an empty fuel tank. Again, I think it brings us back to community, right? Because the individual is recognizing that it's not just what they can do, but what they can receive. So they have to recognize that they're giving and receiving within that, that community space. Um, how can they perhaps build their their own support uh, network um, and and look at things like that? So, so I'm very much on board with some of those comments. Let's look a little bit at resilience. Um, there's been a lot of talk on resilience this year. Um, and even with some of the work that we've been doing, it's been a lot of requests for resilience, right? And, and I often just give a very kind of simple definition to people in terms of trying to understand this as, as bouncing back, right? Bounce back ability. And we've all experienced, you know, significant shocks during this pandemic. And in many ways, this was the kind of reflections that brought me to this, this concept of, of community that, you know, even if you think about going back in history to times when a collective has, has experienced a significant trauma, let's say, for example, you know, Second World War, and even in the terms of the, the, the UK community, people actually came together and they were, they were more closely knit during these times of severe pressure, right? Um, so in many cases, just experiencing that, these shocks on, on a collective level, we all have that shared experience for the first time in our lives for many of us, then, then it kind of builds de facto that, that, that stronger community, right? So we're talking here about resilience, bouncing back, collective trauma. You know, what, what are some of the reflections that you have in, in this space and have you guys in the wellbeing project? Have you is this very much in line with what you're already offering, or, or are you pivoting a little bit with with regard to these um, recent experiences that the whole world has experienced? Let's say. Yeah, you know, I would say that the way that we've been able to respond to the pandemic and the needs of our community at this time has just we haven't had to pivot; just accelerated our work um, and gave our work a new meaning. And I say that because, I mean, for us, resilience, really it, it's that idea of bouncing back. It's the idea of restoring equilibrium. And I think though, what's different now than in, in other recent times is that we're experiencing a, a change in our equilibrium, 
as well. <laughs> um, so it's almost like, how do we come back to a completely new baseline? Um, and what does that baseline look like? Um, and I think for us, it's an opportunity and I'll say this as a, as a project, but also for me personally, I see this as an opportunity for us to use, use this collective experience, this shared trauma that we have all um, gone through together as a way to rebuild by putting empathy and compassion and kindness at its core or at the foundation. I mean, in very other, you know, well, at least in my generation or, or in my lifetime, I'll say, um, we have experienced a, a global trauma such as this, um, where we all understand the challenges that the that we're facing now. All of us, as, I mean, each individual has its own set of, his or her set of um, needs and experiences, but at a very kind of broad level, we are going through I mean, a traumatic time. We're going through a traumatic time and we are going to require the support from those people around us to get through this. And I, and I do think that this is an opportunity for us to turn to our community and, and figure out and be more intentional about how we both contribute to that community so that we're also able to then get that support back from our community that will allow us to bounce back and then thrive in the future. Absolutely. In, in terms of the, the mission that you guys have, right? So you're trying to mobilize change. You're trying to see real impact um, through a more kind of holistic, um, you know, view of living and working. Um, and, and we, you know, recognizing and being cognizant of, of this opportunity. Have you seen progress already towards fulfilling more of that mission or is it more the case that you think conditions are now in place for that you know during the course of next year as we begin to emerge from from the restrictions that people's attitudes will have changed there will be a new baseline and we will move more rapidly towards that change that is so required what are you seeing in terms of progress yeah i mean i think it's it's a bit hard to respond to that question just because I feel like we're still very much in the midst of it. But what I can say is I'm, I again go back to hope and optimism. And I do see that, you know, on one hand, organizations are the organizations that we work with, I would say in particular, and I would say in the broader, even kind of business environment, it's a hard time. Um, and, and organizations are struggling to respond to all the changes that are taking place right now. But I do think that this is gonna accelerate progress over the longer term, if we're able to take um, kind of the time and the space now to reflect on what is needed um, in order for us to establish or put in place these longer term shifts in culture. Um, and for me, I think that that is what I am picking up on and, 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 and I'm experiencing among the communities that we're working with. It, that again, it's going back to what we said in the beginning that this whole idea of well being being kind of a tick the box exercise or ad hoc, you know, bringing in programs here and there, that, that was good and, it, and it, you know, it worked to some extent in that moment. But now what we need are more profound shifts and we need more profound shifts that change the way we work, change the way that we relate with one another and connect with one another, um, and really change the way that we 
put people kind of at the center of everything we do, um, I think that to me is where we will see the most progress. Yeah, no, we, we live in hope, right? I mean, I hope too, and I believe that, you know, we will move positively into the future. And as you say, many organizations, many people are simply in a holding pattern. They're kind of just, they're just hanging on. They're just surviving. And that's maybe not the right time. Not for all. I think some, you know, some people, some organizations are still, you know, depending on how fortunate they have been with terms of their circumstances and what they offer, they can still, you know, build more positively now because they're not under as much pressure as, as many other people, right? I, I believe that also. Um, but it could be the case that it's simply not the right time for many of us. And as we begin to emerge a little bit more freely and there is a bit more freedom, then hopefully we move in the right direction and we don't simply bounce back to the way it was before. That, of course, is the worry and the danger. So following on from that and just bringing us to a final question, we're, we're almost at a time, it's hard to believe it's went so fast. Um, what, what can we all do? What, what can, if, you know, if, if, if anyone is listening and they have an interest in these themes, what can we do on a, on a practical, individual level, perhaps even on a daily basis, that is going to help us all get there, that's going to help contribute to the mobilizing of that change that we need? Any ideas in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we can start at the individual level, because I have some thoughts on that from the individual as well as the, the organizational level. Um, but I think at the individual level, we're right now there's a, there there's a lot going on whether it's you know working from home while homeschooling kids while taking care of all of the household responsibilities responsibilities there's there is a lot going on um, and i strongly believe that there are kind of s simple practices or or shifts that you can bring into your day to not only help you get through your day but to do so while not running kind of completely empty with in terms of that energy tank. Um, for us at the Wellbeing Project, the way that we're supporting individuals is by creating more opportunities for us to, to kind of check in with each other before we get kind of down into business. I think this practice has really helped us relate on a very human level at a time when we're, we're physically distanced from one another. Um, we also bring in mindful moments into our day. So we have a team meeting every Monday that we start with a five minute moment of silence where we just sit and breathe. Sometimes we use a guided practice. Sometimes we just sit in silence. Um, I also think that it's understanding that we are all responding to the situation in different ways. So um, at the Wellbeing Project, we are also inviting um, um, therapists and trauma experts to come in to lead sessions with the team to help us figure out, you know, what are some exercises that we can use to help us maintain that equilibrium so that we're then able to and, and be able to support the communities that, that are a part of our project. So I think there's a variety of different ways of figuring out kind of what works for you individually. And I would say at an organization level, making some of those support services or support systems um, available to people in the teams. Um, and I think also at an organizational level, there's a lot that leaders can do. One of those is really just create space for both individual and um, collective processing of what's happening, creating spaces that are safe 
that are confidential, where people can be vulnerable and, and really share and show up um, as they are in the moment. I would also say um, flexibility is so important right now as well. Um, as we are all processing and dealing with everything going on in different ways, creating some flexibility um, within the structure so that people can you know, adjust their schedules so that they're able to attend to the various other responsibilities they have while also being able to continue forward on their work is, is so important. Um, and I'll just, and I'll share, I think one last kind of tip I have for organizations and that's really around appreciation and recognition. I think this is always important from an organizational perspective or from a cultural perspective, but I think more now than ever before of showing our appreciation, recognizing the contributions that people are making, recognizing that people are doing the best they can in these circumstances. I think that is such an important motivating factor for teams at this time and maybe harder to do since we don't have those kind of informal interactions we normally would in an office setting. So I think those are just kind of a few ideas and kind of practices that I've embedded into my own life, but also have have made sure and prioritized with, with the team that, that I'm leading. Great. Lovely. Thank, thanks for those insights, Elisa. And many thanks. I'm very appreciative of your own time uh, today, and I wish you the best of luck going forward. And let's hope that 2021 will be a year with a real step change and, and you guys can really fulfill the mission that, that and, and, and the journey that you're on. So thank you once again. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure to contribute to this. Thank mm -hmm. you.